I'm here to talk to you about, do you know what number sign we're on? Six. Six, Dammy, come on. Keep up, Dammy. <laughs> so we are, we're looking at the sixth sign together. So we are in John chapter 9, so if you want to go to John chapter 9. Some people have said that if you want a summary of John's gospel, just read John chapter 9, because it's got all the reoccurring themes that you might find in John throughout. So I'm going to read our passage, and it says this, from verse 1, as he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Then he went and washed and came back, able to see. So um, right at the uh, sort of start of our passage, we are told that while others um, sort of would have passed by and, and, and not noticed this man, Jesus, what's it say? He doesn't, he, do, he stops. He, he notices. He notices a man born blind. A man at the roadside who, well, let's be honest, was probably begging, uh, had probably no employment, no prospects, um, you know, was a real social stigma and was kind of at the bottom of the social ladder. Um, and due to kind of lack of modern medicine, blindness was actually quite common in the first century. Um, but being born blind was slightly less common. But Jesus, he doesn't walk on by. He, he stops. He notices. He cares. And the assumption by Jesus' disciples, and many during this time, is that this man's sort of misfortune, um, where, you know, it could be someone else with a disease or a disability or any kind of suffering, was, was a punishment for someone's sin or from a sort of generational sin. That's kind of the assumption, isn't it, at, at the time? And so people with these conditions start to become labelled as sinners in the Gospels. We see that people of leprosy, sinners. And um, Jewish rabbis actually taught at the time that it was possible for an unborn baby to sin in the womb. Uh, these are the sort of teachings that are going around. Um, now, I want to say this, there's two problems so far. First problem is this. Having a disease, or something like that, is never labelled as a sin in the Old Testament. You won't find it. Um, some, some things might come under the category of what we call ritually impure, but that's not sin. That's different. They're, they're kind of distinguished if we look through, through the Old Testament. But by Jesus' time, Pharisees and, and other sort of uh, leaders started to kind of categorize everything under this umbrella of sin, um, which is wrong, by the way. And the second problem is this. The belief that misfortune, so being born blind, is punishment due to sin. Which sounds, if you think about it, sounds a bit more like karma. You know, Hinduism, 
Buddhism, those, 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 those religions or that belief system, it sounds like karma. You do something bad, something bad will happen to you. Well, that's, that's not in Scripture, you know, if, if we read if we read Scripture. I mean, if you read the Bible, um, it seems the reverse is actually true, okay? And the, the righteous actually seem to suffer quite a lot. <laughs> and, 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 and the wicked seem to prosper. That's kind of what we read, isn't it? You know, from Job all the way to Jesus... Suffering and misfortune kind of follows the righteous. And so what Jesus is about to say here is revolutionary, okay? And something we should listen to really carefully. Are you ready? Jesus answered, neither this man sinned nor his parents. I mean, that's just fantastic. Jesus is saying... Listen, guys, we don't believe in karma. That's not what we believe in. And we don't diagnose people. And we don't try and sort of individualize their suffering. This really is revolutionary. And, And so Jesus is saying sickness is not a result of personal sin. Brilliant. And they 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 do share a connection, but only as far as both kind of lead to death. Um disease, disability, mental health. ADHD, um, autism, whatever, you know, or any, any, think of any form of additional needs that maybe some of us today in the room walk with, live with, family, friends, they are not due to personal sin. Say that again, they're not due to sin. Um, but nonetheless, they are part of sort of like the, the diversity of what it means to be human, the, the human condition. We're all diverse. We're not, what, there's not like the one perfect person, Jesus obviously, <laughs> But there's not like, you know, you need to be like this. We're all diverse. And they don't arise because of personal sin. That's why, you know, when Jesus got a headache or when Jesus got a heartburn, um, it wasn't because he sinned, right? He just took on us. He took on the human condition. And don't try and tell me that from time to time, uh, Jesus' disciples didn't give him a headache. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they, they do, right? All the time. And so um, Jesus' response then for us um, is very important. This man who is blind is actually a victim. This man's a victim. And his society have actually blamed him for his own misfortune. Um, I want to say, without going into loads of detail, I would love to, uh, translation is really important here. Most English translations say this, okay? You can see it on the screen. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that God's works might be displayed in his life. Now, if, if you kind of read that, what's implicitly being said here? Uh, God inflicts pain on people and suffering um, just so that he can glorify himself later on with a healing. I mean, that doesn't sound right, does it? That sounds kind of dodgy. Um, the funny thing is, it's actually... It's, just equally easy to translate it like this. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. Full stop. But so that the work of God might be displayed in his life, we must do the work of him who sent me while it is still day. Did you notice there's a slight difference there? Slight emphasis. But so that, okay, slight difference. In other words, God did not make the man blind from birth in order to show his own glory. But God sent Jesus to do works of healing and to show his glory. In other words, right, sickness and suffering 
is an opportunity for healing. It isn't a punishment for sin. Okay? Really significant um, difference. Don't worry, I'll explain this. Um, <laughs> I think deep down inside all of us is a need to kind of make sense of the problems in the world around us. You know, if we see suffering, illness, injustice, poverty, war, we know it's not fair, don't we? But at the same time, we're like, well, God's all-powerful. So what we tend to do is we just kind of attribute everything to God. And we might say everything happens for a reason. But please, uh, listen to me carefully. God is in control, but God is not controlling. Nor is he responsible for our actions. It's slightly different. Romans 8 says... God works all things. It doesn't say he causes all things. He works all things, right? The good, the bad. Mysteriously, he brings it all together for his, his purposes. And so if, 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 I mean, if God was in control of every little thing, he wouldn't tell us to pray all the time. <laughs> he tells us to pray. <laughs> and so in, in light of all this, uh, we should not be like the disciples in this story, Okay. And um, they kind of react to situations with the attitude of, well, you know, you reap what you sow. Your sin, yeah? You sin and then here are the consequences. But the disciples here are kind of like, if you're familiar with the book of Job, kind of like Job's miserable comforters, you know, so-called friends. Surely, Job, you did something wrong. Come on, Job, tell us. Well, I didn't. I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> yeah? I mean, you know, if, if just look at the world around us. It does not quite work like this kind of simple cause and effect. Evil leads to evil. Good leads to good. I mean, evil doesn't always lead to evil, does it, all the time? And goodness doesn't always lead to goodness all the time. You know, drunk drivers sometimes, unfortunately, kill people. But actually, quite often, drunk drivers just drink and drive and get away with it. <laughs> yeah? And, you know, if you're kind to someone, sometimes it's really nice when people are kind back. Sometimes, you know, if being honest, people don't always receive that kindness. And they can be quite mean and horrible back to us. Um, I mean, look what's happening in the world right now in, in Gaza, right? You know, we're all aware of it, aren't we? Children, babies, innocently dying. Everything happens for a reason. Really? Or are we instead meant to pray, partner with God and say, God, bring peace. Bring mercy in this situation. God, do you hear us? It's not our job to, to judge situations or to try and find meaning or logic behind pain in the world. Um, all we can do is imitate Jesus, who, while he was suffering on the cross, he asked the question, why? <laughs> why is this happening? One day when Jesus returns, he'll explain. And it actually reminds me, you know, uh, Genesis 1, um, we have lots of disorder, lots of darkness, there's a void. But the writer doesn't say, uh, where this, where this come from? You know, whose fault is this? Where, where's the darkness come from? Where, where? No, what's it say? It says, God said, let there be light. Yeah? In other words, let me bring my goodness into this situation. 
And interestingly, in our passage today, Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world. And so Jesus says to the man in this dark situation, let there be light. And so I want to encourage us this morning, you know, we often look at our lives, our condition, the family we were born into, maybe the place, maybe the country we were born into, maybe illness, maybe like, I wish I had more money, I wish I was more good looking, yeah, whatever it is. And we see it as like misfortune. And maybe some of us think it's inflicted by God for something we did or, or maybe something in our family history. But I do want to be really clear. We're in Christ. You're not being punished. Okay? We all have generational sin. It's called the fall. Uh, and it's been dealt with by, by Jesus. Um, in Jesus, we have been rescued from the curse of Adam. It's what we read in Romans 5. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, Romans 8. Um, I mean, no doubt this blind man kind of um, compared himself to others. Why am I born blind? But the fact of the matter is, each of our lives, as we will see now, are opportunities to reveal the glory of God. But so that the work of God might be displayed in his life, we must do the work of him who sent me while it is still day. So while Jesus is, is still around, basically. Um, the only explanation Jesus gives us um, is that our, our lives, the purpose of them is to reveal God's glory. Somehow, God wants to bring glory out of our lives. God's glory, of course, is revealed in, in the healing here. Um, but it might also be revealed before that, right? In the man's life, how God was present even in the man's blindness. So let's not think that God, um, God can't encounter us during our suffering, our disease. He isn't waiting for us to get better and then he's going to encounter us. Um, he, he, he wants to come into our lives in, in every situation and reveal his glory. Um, and so let's not compare ourselves with others, but know this, you know, your situation, your unique situation, I don't know it. But it's, it's, it's an opportunity to reveal God's glory. And then, hey, what's the mud pie all about? Um, we read in verse 6 that Jesus spits on the ground, mixes it with mud, makes a paste. Um, you might think, it's just a one-off. Well, it isn't. He does it twice in Mark's gospel. Um, why? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'll be thinking, hey, you know, I heard about the man you healed without saying anything. <laughs> In John 5, the man at the pool, uh, well, why am I getting spit in, in the eyes? Um, we, we read later in verse 14 that this all happened on a Sabbath. And um, at the time, some Jews taught that it was, it was prohibited on the Sabbath to, to mix paste, so basically mud and spit. So Jesus knows what he's doing. Um, some say that, you know, that, that it was believed at the time that spit had healing properties, so there's lots of kind of suggestions about what's going on here, people trying to figure out what, what's going on. Um, firstly, I know that the spit shocks us, um, but that's, uh, the, the mud is actually the focus. We should be focused on the mud. Because when the man retells the story later on, he doesn't mention the spit, he just mentions the, the, he just mentions the mud. Um, so, so in this act, this is what I think the best explanation is, Jesus has taken us back to Genesis. 
back to creation, back to humankind being kind of made out of the dust, fashioned, formed from the ground, like clay in in the potter's hand, molding and and forming a new humanity. And Jesus is reminding us here, I think, that there's only one hand which formed us in the womb, only one hand that, that caused us, only one hand that can bring this restoration that this man needs, only one hand that can restore the uh, sight to the blind. I find it quite interesting, you know, as a category of healing, healing the blind is the most common, the most common miracle that Jesus performs. Um, but we don't read anywhere in the Old Testament of the blind being healed as an act. But, you know, look at the prophets. What do we see? When a Messiah comes, he will open the eyes of the blind. You know, this is Jesus saying, I'm here now. <laughs> I've come to do the, what's been written about me. Um, and he washes in the pool called Scent, and he receives his sight. And he goes on his way without actually seeing Jesus. Doesn't know what it looks like. Well, um, so he, he receives his physical sight, this man at least. Um, he'll have to wait till the end of the chapter to kind of get his spiritual sight. And, and so um, what, what happens in the verses that follow, we won't, we won't read this whole chapter. It's rather long, but um, in the verses that follow... And the, the, the Pharisees essentially spend a very long time investigating this miracle. A bit like detectives, they go from house to house, and they essentially they accuse the man of making this story all up. Um, his friends and the man's neighbors are actually not that convinced either. They think maybe he's lying. And they even go to his parents' house, and his parents, they actually, they actually don't defend their own son. It's quite sad, out of fear of being expelled from the synagogues. And, and finally, the Pharisees, after, after their investi- investigations, they return to the man born blind. For kind of, sort of final questioning from verse 24. So for the second time, they had called the man who had been blind and they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that I thought I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? I mean, that's a way to wind up the Pharisees, isn't it? Uh, Then they reviled him saying, you are his disciple but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to, one, to the one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind if this man were not from God. He could not do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins and you are trying to teach us. And they drove him out. I mean, you know you've won an argument when they respond with personal attacks. (laughs) That's how you know you've won. Um, You know, John's gospel loves irony. It's one of the main ways it teaches. Um, And the great irony in this story is um, everyone seems to believe that this man was born blind because of his own sin. <clears throat> but as the story unfolds, 
um, we see how society thought of him, right? How they treated him. And we start to see the real sinners here. His community let him down. They condemned him. His, his culture, they let him down. And, and they saw him and his condition as sort of like evidence of divine judgment. But the irony is, they're guilty, not this man. Rather than seeing the man as someone to be loved, they treated him as a problem to be fixed. An object of pity, an object of compassion, someone to kind of be prayed away, a mistake, not made in God's image maybe. I wonder how quick we are to kind of pass judgment on people without knowing their life story. And we can easily judge the person who is homeless on the street. But we don't see how it is that they're still alive despite all the years of abuse and misfortune. You know, we can easily judge those on universal credit as being just lazy, you know, living off the welfare state. Um, but we fail to see the failure, actually, of the state and the government, the system, in contributing to their situation. Because really, you know, think about it, how much of, of, of our lives now are, be, are because, and, and our circumstances, are because of what we were born into, our families. Uh, the, the, the Pharisees spend so long debating and investigating the miracle that they become the ones who are plunged into darkness and are blinded. That's another irony. <laughs> the educated, right? The privileged. The leaders in this story say three times that <clears throat> we know who Jesus really is. While the man who was blind confesses three times that really he doesn't know too much about Jesus. <laughs> <clears throat> ironically, you know, as we read the story, we know that the man who claims to not know much about Jesus uh, is actually closer to the truth. Uh, he, he, knows, um, he knows the most, you'd say. And it causes us, causes me to ask the question, well, what does real faith look like then? The Pharisees seem to be really certain. We know who Jesus really is. Trust us, you know, we know. And agree with us. Give glory to God. Agree with what we say or else. There's the threat. Real faith, as displayed um, by the man born blind, is not about having all your theology in order and then following Jesus. But sometimes real faith looks like encountering Jesus and then trying throughout our life to kind of figure out this amazing person, clouded in mystery. You know, we, we write books. We, we try to kind of say for certain who God is. And um, we try and pin him down. We know what God is like. We know. But, but real faith is not about how certain you can be, but what you do when you're not. Um, real faith is trust. And like the man in this story, real faith sometimes looks like saying, I don't know. <laughs> Who healed you? I don't know. You know, studying, exploring God in books, 100% yes. Um, but we're never going to exhaust that subject. And um, we're never going to become specialists in God. And the same goes to what we're talking about, I talked about before, you know, suffering, the problem of evil. Lots of great books out there that try and answer this huge question. But we're never going to know why the man was born blind. <coughs> we're never going to know a lot of things, actually. Which is why it's called faith. You know, we trust 
in a person, not a doctrine. We follow a person, not a doctrine. And we're still discovering this person, aren't we? This is why it's called faith. Um, our eyes are, are opened, but they're still being opened. We only see as a reflection in a mirror, as Paul says. Oh, and by the way, first century mirrors were like polished metal. So you didn't really see yourself that well in this mirror. Um, but, but Paul goes on in that verse. Um, we know in part. We know in part. When we see him, though, face to face, um, then we will know fully. It reminds me of um, a story often told of a man who became a Christian dramatically during the, you might be familiar with this story, during the time of John Wesley in England in the 18th century, you know, Methodism has this revival and this man becomes a Christian in the, in the midst of all of this. And this man was a miner, he worked in a mine and um, his life was absolutely changed, transformed. And he would go to work, he would go and work in the mines and his work friends in the mine would mock him and say, Come on, you don't, really, you don't really believe all this. You don't really believe that Jesus turned water into wine. And the man said, um, I, don't, I don't really know if Jesus changed water into wine. I don't know. I, I wasn't there. But I do know one thing. In my house, Jesus changed beer into furniture. Right? <laughs> you see, for, for the man who was blind... It's not what he knows, it's what he can't deny, right? It's not, it's not what he knows, it's what he can't deny. Something happened to me. That's all I know, something happened to me. Say to the person next to you, something happened to me. What, one more time. Sorry, I'm just abusing the ability to do this. <laughs> you don't have to do it. Um, so let's keep reading then our kind of final bit of the story. Um, Jesus heard that they had driven him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, you have seen him and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see and those who do not see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. You know, at the start of this story, we saw that Jesus notices broken people. And here we see that Jesus finds rejected people too. Um, you know, we talk about seeking and discovering Jesus, yes. But don't forget that he also wants to seek us out and find us. Um, he's always on the lookout for those who need him the most. And the story of the man born blind in this chapter is a picture, I think, of discipleship and what it means to follow Jesus. Think about it. At the start, he's not in a great place, doesn't know Jesus, has this encounter with Jesus, and he's still not sure who Jesus is. And, and in the section we, we didn't read, the man first describes Jesus as, as, as a man. And then he goes on to call Jesus a prophet. And then that Jesus came from God. And in the passage we just read, he realized Jesus is the son of man. And then in verse 38, he declares, like Thomas at the end of John's gospel, that Jesus is Lord. He's got it. Um, 
he figures, he's figured it out. And at the start, you know, this man's healed, he's able to see physically, but it takes time for his spiritual vision to kind of come into focus and to see who Jesus really is. In the meantime, the man is persecuted um, for not denying what happened to him. But he shows incredible courage. You know, he's, as I mentioned, he's rejected essentially by society, his family, his friends, the religious leaders of the time, and they actually remove him from their place of worship. And imagine the shame, imagine the fear. But he's just incredibly courageous. He might not be able to give you like the correct theological explanation of what happened to him, but he knows something impossible happened to him. And, and, and he knows that only God can do the impossible, and then therefore he knows that Jesus must be from God. Um, he's not that dumb. Um, he's fearless in the face of persecution and mockery. Right at the start of the chapter, the disciples and the Pharisees stand in judgment, don't they, over this man. But right at the end of the chapter, what does Jesus say? No, 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 I'm the judge. Um, not you, I judge. I divide people into those who see me and those who can't. In fact, they divide themselves when I come up in conversation. Um, what really matters, Jesus is saying in the story is whether you can see me or not. Because if you see Jesus, you can see everything clearly. Uh, Jesus is saying to us, I believe, can you see me? Am I your kind of like focal point? And if you can see me, Jesus says, I promise you the fog will remove in that situation, that moment. If you can see me clearly. You know, the one with the most serious illness in this chapter is not the man born blind, but those who are ignorant and spiritually blind. And that's the illness we should really be concerned about. You know, we began this morning looking at a man who sat in darkness for a long time, physically and spiritually, but who was made to see the light. And at the same time, we saw a group of people who thought that they had 20-20 vision, but in fact were blind and living in darkness, and refuse to even see. Like this man in the story, I believe we're all born blind, until Jesus opens our eyes for us. You know, um, I want to invite the worship team up, and I would love us to respond. Um, before we do that, I'd love us to pray right now, if that's all right. If you want to do whatever you want to do to kind of focus um, I thank you so much, Lord, for your word. I thank you so much for just the fountain of truth that we haven't even begun to touch on in this, in this chapter, in this story. I pray, God, that even right now, as, as, as our eyes are, are focused on you, I pray that you'd start to really open, remove blind spots, remove anything that is hindering us from seeing things clearly. I pray you'd, 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 you'd prevent us from trying to see things how we see things, trying to fix situations how, how we fix situations. But I pray, God, you'd start to remove these barriers. I pray you'd help us to just look through you at our situation, whatever's going on. In this moment, this week, you'd help us to keep you the focal point, Jesus.